It really does seem that God uses the strangest things to get our attention, to get our attention and to teach us how to listen to his voice and and change us and work in our lives in ways that only he can do. After I finished college at Idaho State University and got my architecture license and Jan and I moved back to Emmett. Actually, it was Jan's first move to Emmett. <laughs> but I started practicing architecture, and I had my office down on Main Street, where Horizon Home Health and Hospice is located now. And during this time, I discovered something that I'd never really heard before. It's called Christian Radio. Christian Radio. Now, I'm showing my age, I think, this morning, too. But that was a brand new thing to me. And I was fascinated, I was blessed by the programs and music that I heard. And since I was by myself in the office most of the time and working at the drafting board, I, I could keep the radio on in the background and listen, and I turned, turned on and tuned in to one of the Christian radio stations. And, and God used that really to change me in a lot of ways, to change the direction of my life in many different ways. He, he gave me a love for reading books. I think I always had that. But boy, when a pastor on the radio would mention a book or quote a book, I just had to buy that book. And uh, that's a whole other story. But uh, God also gave me a desire for, and a heart for listening to expository preaching. Even my call to ministry was directly connected to Christian radio. But at 4 o'clock every afternoon, one particular program came on KBGN, 1040, and I looked forward to it. I hated to miss it. And the story was called, or the, the program was called Stories of Great Christians. And quite frankly, it was a little hokey sounding with all that organ music, and I'm going to play a clip in here in a minute. And, and I think it came on at 4 o'clock in the afternoon because I think really it was a children's program. And so the kids were home from school, and they would listen. And I want you to hear the introduction to the program and uh, how one of my favorite episodes began. So let's see if this will... We greet our friends everywhere with chapter one of Hunger, Thirst, and Bitter Exile, story of William Tyndall. This is another in the series, Stories of Great Christians, and is brought to you by the Moody Bible Institute of Chicago. quite dead, and I know I shall see him no more. I must share the things that happened to me because of the man named William Tyndall. I was not in love with him, for when I knew him, he was a priest. And during the 14 years between my 16th birthday and his death, I fell in love with another, married and settled down to domesticity. And yet, and yet, Come back with me to the year 1522. I was 16. Now that he is quite dead, <laughs> that's called a hook. We're going to talk about that in a little while. There were 25 episodes in the story of William Tyndall. 
who gave his life to translate the Bible into English. And I can still remember sitting in my drafting board, listening to the last episode, the 25th episode, and listening to how William Tyndall was strangled. He was burned at the stake for translating the Bible into English. And here I was, a grown man, sitting at my drafting table in my architect's office, weeping over a hokey-sounding program. But that is the power of story. The power of story. Since we were children, we've gravitated to stories. We love to hear them. We love to tell them. When our grandkids are here, as they've been here this last week, they love to hear Grandma read a book or Auntie Bethy read a book or Grandpa read a book before they go to bed. And, and Jan usually tells them, well, go pick out a book to read. And uh, sometimes Auntie Bethy gets to read it. And when the boys pick out the book, they always pick out the longest, the <laughs> thickest book they can find because they enjoy that so much. And my son Ben's favorite uh, storybook when he was little that he liked to have read to him, it, it ended with these fateful words. It actually ended with these words at the end of the story. That was a good story, wasn't it? Let's read it over again. <laughs> That, that had to be a sad, sad plot against parents everywhere. But the best stories arouse conviction, connection, compassion in us as we listen. They taught us. They inspired us. They served as cautionary tales of, or models of faith to emulate. And our parents told us stories from their childhood, or in my case, my dad told stories about the war. And people would stop by dad's upholstery shop just to hear dad tell his stories. And uh, one time my brother Danny, when he was about 10 or 11 years old, he was in the shop with dad. And when dad started telling a story to somebody who'd come into the shop, one of his favorite stories from the war, my brother Dan stopped dad and said, dad, let me tell it this time. <laughs> our teachers read stories from books and our Sunday school teachers shared stories from the Bible. And these stories made us think. They made us laugh. They made us cry. They made us learn and wonder. And the Bible stories form the foundation from which our, our faith might grow. I came across the title of a book this last week, and I just love the title, even though I haven't read the book. And the book is by Laura Bogess, and the book is called Play Dates with God, Having a Childlike Faith in a Grown-Up World. Isn't that a great title? And she's writing about our intimate relationship with our Heavenly Father as having a play date with Him. And she quoted as writing in the book, she says, Children know intuitively that stories help us make sense of the world. Stories have a way of opening us up to the deeper truths hidden in our experiences. That's why Jesus taught using parables. And that's why much of the Bible is story, what they call narrative. Uh, they call it narrative because when somebody says, I'm going to tell you a story, people will think, well, I wonder if this is a true story or is this a made-up story or whatever. So in biblical studies, we call it narrative. But have you ever thought about this? Almost half of the Old Testament is story, is negative. And then two-thirds of the New Testament is story. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and Acts. Then you have poetry and wisdom literature and apocalyptic literature like Daniel and Ezekiel and Revelation, leaving only about 10% or one-tenth of the Bible, which is doctrinal or instructional. And yet on any given Sunday morning, where are we spending <laughs> our, our time in, in God's Word? 
The Bible is much more than just a, a manual for Christian living. It's God's own story, God's story of creation. God's story is of the fall, redemption, and, and consummation. And the final chapter of God's story is still being written today. Then there used to be a group, the, what was it, the 29th chapter of Acts or something like that? There's 28 chapters, and there was a group that called themselves, I may have got the numbers wrong, but uh, we're still part of God's story. Even though we know how the story is going to end, we get to be part of God's story through believing in the story of Jesus and participating in the redemptive mission of God in the power of the Holy Spirit as his church. Now, when Jesus taught using parables, stories, he knew that not only children but adults with spiritual discernment, with ears to hear, he said, would comprehend the deeper truths when he told parables. Stories we would remember, stories that we'd reflect on, stories we recall, and stories, let me tell it this time. And when you tell your story, that's called your testimony, your story of God. The Bible offers wisdom through Proverbs, poetry through the Psalms. It includes laws and letters, genealogies and prophecies. But most of God's truth is given to us in the context of story. In fact, when you think about it, we're banking our eternity on story. The plan of salvation is explained in the New Testament letters, and that's why we were studying the book of Romans, and we'll go back to Romans after the first of the year. It explains the plan of salvation. But the work of salvation, the actual work of salvation, is conveyed by way of stories through the scriptures. Old Testament stories set the stage for man's sin problem. And God's solution to that problem, leading into the Gospels, which contains the climax of the story that Jesus died once for all and is coming again to receive us to himself. And throughout the ages, God's people told and retold key stories helping us know the character of God. We know what God is like because of stories. God's people preserve the stories so that we have them today. For example, the telling and retelling of the Exodus and the parting of the Red Sea is told at least four times in the Psalms, three times in Isaiah. It was told by Nehemiah who basically said, remember how God saved his people then when they had their backs to the sea and God parted the Red Sea, took them across on dry land? Well, if God can do that then, we can surely trust him now in the New Testament. The exodus and the parting of the Red Sea was even retold by Stephen, who gave his testimony right before he was stoned to death. There are 13 references to the exodus in the New Testament. And so in the Old Testament, we see over and over again the same stories and other stories that pave the way for us to comprehend, to understand Jesus' work. And over and over again, we see how reviewing those stories, these stories in God's word, we know him more and more. Like Nehemiah, Isaiah, the psalmist, and then Stephen, we could look back at God's track record to have confidence in him today. So when we tell and retell these stories to ourselves, and we do it for ourselves when we read and reread the scriptures, we listen to sermons that, that expand on the text, we 
We share the stories with our children, with our grandchildren, or with the Sunday school class if you're, you're a teacher. When we do this, we keep in front of us reminder after reminder through the stories of God's power and God's favor. So that when we face struggles, and we will, when we face struggles, we can look back and see God could be trusted then and God can be trusted today in my life. But we also have our own stories. We all have a story. Or better yet, you have a story that needs to be told. You have a story that needs to be told. Why? We know, know that the Bible stories inform our own life stories so we can find hope, we can step out in faith in the here and now, trusting a trustworthy God. And our own stories are unfolding, and they're all worth telling. Your story of faith is worth t- t- uh, telling. Stories that, that may highlight your stumbling and your sin and your reaching for the Savior to find forgiveness and strength, or it might be something that God really needed to do, or you're you're dead meat, as it were. And God came through. God don't always come when you want him to, but what? He's always on time, says the song. We all have a story. Now, I'm guessing that you think your story is not worth telling. Maybe. It's not spectacular or significant. You'll never hear your story on stories of great Christians. <laughs> Maybe not. But as part of God's story, we all have a story. And in writing the telling of stories, where it's part of God's story, it's part of a big story, and we have a story, in writing in the telling of stories, that's called a backstory. A backstory. You see, the backstories are the individual stories behind the main story. We all have a backstory that's part of God's story. Now, the script writers, TV script writers, know the power of a backstory. They create a character like the father on This Is Us. And, the doc- and Doctor Who, Elizabeth's not here today, she likes Doctor Who, or, or a doctor on Doctor Who who's mysterious, he's inscrutable. And then they reveal week by week, bit by tantalizing bit, the formative events in that character's difficult past. And that, scriptwriters know, is what makes us care. As we see the backstory in that one character, we see how, how they were formed in that character and who they are. And every person here, every one of you here, have a backstory that's part of God's story. You all have a backstory. And your backstory is composed of a lifetime of joys, disappointments, Struggles, healings, insights, doubts, failures, triumphs, all that stuff that makes you who you are. Writer Daniel Taylor tells about the power of learning the backstories of the adults in his church when he was a child. He writes, There's something appropriately moving about a group of simple people coming together to get help for their often difficult existence through sharing the common story of their faith as it works itself out in the individual stories of their lives. He says, I can remember even now 
the sense of awe and gratefulness I would feel as I, a child, watched from a dark corner while the adults in my life made themselves vulnerable before God and each other. Before this, they lived in a world outside my own, above and beyond me in every meaningful way. In 30 minutes, they'd be in that world again. But in the brief moment of their story sharing, they would become real and human and knowable. He was no longer the Sunday school superintendent whom you dodged when cutting class. He was the man weeping because his brother had survived the surgery following the car accident. She was not the woman who sold you donuts at the bakery. She was the one thanking God for the $25 Christmas bonus so she could pay the rent. Separate individuals, more or less dull, with the usual shortcomings and pettiness, transformed for a moment by the power of shared stories. We experienced the power of backstories. We, we did experience the power of backstories this last week at our in-gathering dinner. Not only did we share individual praises and backstories of faith, we heard from three people in particular, four, who, who were at the very beginnings of Grace Baptist Church, and, and Clois being our sole surviving founding member of, of Grace Baptist Church. But, but we heard about the struggles. We heard about the joys. We, we heard about the crummy, empty, or the crummy, yeah, the crummy trailer houses that the church met in, on two trailer houses parked on the property, and, and all those, how they got the new building started. And, and the faith of those who have left us a tremendous legacy is Grace Baptist Church. And one of the blessings this last summer in the, the passing of my mother that was for a year before mom passed, she had been telling her stories and remembrances as a child and growing up to my sister Vicki. And this all got started because mom couldn't write directly to Aunt Mary or Aunt Naomi anymore, and Aunt Naomi wouldn't understand the letter even if she, if she received it, you know, that kind of thing. And so mom just couldn't write anymore. Uh, because she wasn't steady enough. And so Vicki would sit and listen to mom's stories and, and take notes. And then Vicki would type them up and then send them to, to, the, to the aunts. And uh, they shared their stories, and they shared their stories with mom. And after mom passed away, Vicki put these books in, in bo or these stories in book form and put several pictures of, of mom and her brothers and sisters and mom and dad growing up. And it's, it's a very precious thing that the generation to come might know, even the generation yet to be born, that they may arise and tell them to their children that they should put their confidence in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments. That's why each one of us has a backstory. Not only for the encouragement of those who know us now to build their faith in God so that they put their confidence in God, but our backstory will continue to be told in generations to come as part of God's story. So how do you tell your own stories of faith? How do you get started in this if you really haven't done it before or told the story or written them down? Or, you know? So I just want to give you a few suggestions this morning to get you started on telling your own stories of faith. And these aren't any in any particular order, and it's helpful to keep them all in mind. It's not like it's a six-step program that will make you a great storyteller or lead you to write your memoirs, but these are just simple suggestions to, to keep in mind. 
And whether you are telling a story to your children or grandchildren or you're writing your memoirs, if you do that, or you're writing down your stories or, or sharing a story in a Sunday school class or a small group, these are just some suggestions, some suggestions to keep in mind. And the first one is this. Remember that you are not the hero of your own stories of faith. That might sound a little weird. I'm not the hero. Hey, it's my story. I'm the protagonist. I'm the main person. But you are not the hero of your own story. You are not the center of your story. Now, this doesn't mean that there's anything wrong with telling stories about yourself or telling stories that have been passed down through the family or, or stories your grandmother or grandfather told you that necessarily aren't faith stories, and there's nothing wrong getting together with friends and telling fishing stories and hunting and, and birth stories if you're a woman or talking football or whatever, you know. Uh, I think the wives think we really do a ton of church business on third Tuesday of every month down here at the church, and we do, but we tell some great stories. <laughs> and uh, there's, you know, and, and most of them are really faith-based, which is, is, is kind of neat, but but now I'm talking about suggestions, specifically about stories of faith. Telling real-life experiences of what God has done in your life in a way that you declare the mighty works of God. Who he is and what he has done. What he has done to teach you, to bless you, to lead you. And if you want your backstory to do what God intends it to do, remember that God is the center. God is the hero of the story. God has wondrously worked in your life. And you have seen God work in a way that God wants you to declare the wondrous works that he has done. The reason for telling your story is that you want God, you want God to bring comfort or hope or instill faith in the life of somebody else who hears the story. Remember, the purpose of your story is contained in Psalm 78, verse 7 that those who hear your story should put their confidence in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments. Secondly, quote scripture passages that spoke to you or comforted you or that God used in your life. You know, talk about how God gave you that promise or God ministered to you at a particular time. Allow the Holy Spirit to use his word, which will not return void. Allow the Holy Spirit to use his word. We've seen that in Romans 15, 4. For whatever was written in earlier times was written for our instruction, so that through perseverance and the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. Use scripture. <coughs> and thirdly, start small. Start small. If you don't know where to begin in all of this, get alone with God. Get before Him. Maybe read a passage of Scripture, but definitely pray. Pray for His guidance. And then just start jotting down what comes to your mind that may be a story God would use. Think of a time that you saw God work in your life. Write down some of the things you remember. A good place to begin might be writing down your conversion experience, your testimony, at least your first testimony, because your testimony now needs to include what God is still doing in your life. So just get before God and start thinking, Lord, what would you want me to share 
and things will start coming to your mind and just start writing down things and before too long you might go hey I can take this and put that together and and uh, hey that's that's pretty good stuff God thanks <laughs> I appreciate and love you for doing this in my life and for a suggestion broaden your storytelling to other stories of faith and for me this is the most fun part but that's the way I'm built but all of us should be reading and listening to as many stories as faith, of faith as you can. Read the stories in Scripture. You can start with Hebrews chapter 11 as a starting point, and when you see those heroes of the faith there, you know, if one catches your interest, you know, like Samson or Rahab, how did they get in there? You know, go back to the Old Testament and, and read the full story and, and read and study the, the narrative portions uh, of, of Rahab in the book of Joshua or Samson and uh, can't remember if it's first or second Samuel or uh, Judges rather. No, Judges. Yes, or uh, Joshua and Judges there. And, and read the other narrative portions of Scripture, the books of Nehemiah. How, when was the last time you went to Jonah or, or Esther? So read stories of faith from the Bible. Also, read stories of faith in books and magazine articles. Pick out some of your favorite Christians from, from history and settle in with a good book. And uh, really as a way of life. Amy Carmichael, Gladys Elward, Eric Little, Brother Yoon. Can anybody think of any others? Let's stop here. Who, who's your favorite person? Anybody else? Your favorite biography? Or, yeah. Corey Ten Boone. Yeah. She was on Stories of Great Christians. <laughs> Anybody else have a favorite from, from history? Anybody have a favorite in Susanna Wesley? Yeah. Yeah. Jim Elliott, John Newton, William Wilberforce. Yeah. And we, we've had that joy of the, the third Sunday night movie night of, of true life stories of faith. Of, and uh, the kids are already asking, when are we going to start that again? I say, in January. <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll start uh, again. And why is it a good idea to read these biographies or see these stories and movies and those kind of things? It's because when we see how God works in other people's lives we'll be able to see more clearly how he works in our own lives. And by the way, on the Moody website, you can download dozens of stories of great Christians, complete with the wonderful organ music every time. And if you have kids or grandkids, get some books of stories of faith that you can read to your kids, or the kids can read from themselves. And the fifth suggestion gets down to some of the nuts and bolts of storytelling. And it is this, learn to tell your story. Learn to tell your story. And you can learn to tell your stories in a way that is compelling, in a way that's faith-building. Some people find it easy to tell stories, knowing intuitively how to build that key moment and, and communicate the intensity of the moment, while others of us struggle to focus on the main point and, and hold a listener's attention but we can learn to be better storytellers so that when the timing is right, we're always prepared to make a defense for anyone who asks for the hope that is within us. And so start by thinking through events in your life, even from recently as maybe the past week. How have you been struggling? 
How have you been, how has God been working? Uh, take note and figure out what you as the protagonist of the story, which means main person, but God is the hero of the story. What, what's going on in your life that, that kept you from gaining what you really thought you wanted to have or what you needed to have? What conflict have you faced? Where have you needed help to overcome the conflict? Where is God in your story? Because he is the hero of the story. Well, we don't have to be gifted storytellers like Garrison Keillor or John Grisham. We can take a minute to think through how to highlight the struggle, the conflict we faced, and what happened as we faced it. You know, and journaling's really good in this, you know, to just on a daily basis start writing things down, go back and, and review. How did you resolve the conflict? How did God seem to intervene or be present? Remember, we're not the heroes of our stories. As believers, God is the one who empowers and strengthens and provides help in our time of need. God is the hero. And God is even present in our stories, even when a story doesn't explicitly say so. The story of Esther. You can go to the Bible and you can read Esther, and God's name is not mentioned anywhere. But his power is evident throughout. And thinking through our stories, we begin to find our place in God's story. God is writing an ongoing story in your life and in my life. And at any given moment, we may be more like faithless Israel turning our backs on God, or the prodigal son turning his back on the father, or we may realize we're as bold as Joshua when he stepped in the middle of the Jordan River and the waters split again, or Peter stepping out of the boat. Now, I know this has been a lot, and it takes time and effort to really learn how to tell our stories well, but, but I want to conclude with some suggestions that make for good story. And this will help those of you who really want to be storytellers. Any one of us can tell the story of what God is doing in our lives in groups, in small groups, at end gathering, when we tell stories to our kids and, and grandkids. But what I have in mind here is more the formal art of storytelling, because this also will help our, our stories whenever we get the opportunity to tell what God is doing. And you really might enjoy learning to be a storyteller in this way. When you have the opportunity to tell a story as a storyteller. So first of all, when you tell your story or when you share another story of faith as the story of Thanksgiving as I did last week, the first suggestion is this. Use a hook. Use a hook. A hook is your opener. It's the attention getter. It's the question or quote that immediately hooks your listeners or your reader. Sometimes the more off-the-wall or mysterious, the better, because you're daring your audience to get lost in the story because all of a sudden they're going to have questions in their mind. That, you know. So as I started this morning, I said, it seems that God often uses the strangest things to get our attention. And in your mind, you're wondering, what, what's that strange? Well, I know the pastor's a little strange, but what strangest thing did you use this time? And immediately, the audience needs to know what those things might be. They are hooked. Now, that I know he is quite dead, and I shall see him no more. You know, he, he's quite dead. One of the great hooks in literature, even though it's a fictional story, is Marley was dead to begin with from the Christmas Carol. 
Marley was dead to begin with, and then the next paragraph begins, Marley was dead as a doornail. And you're hooked, and you got to read it. So, so use a hook that'll draw people, or people will be asking questions about. Secondly, just tell the story. Just tell the story, and let me add, tell the true story. Don't embellish it. Don't stretch it. You don't have to add to it. More than one Christian celebrity over the years has taken a tumble because they embellished and added to their testimony thinking that it has to be more interesting or they want to gain more notoriety. And the same thing is done in politics. You get two weeks before the election, you find out that somebody lied about their story. You know, and all of a sudden, there it goes. Just tell the true story. This is your backstory of God's story. And remember this, a story has a natural momentum to it. If you simply state what happened in chronological order, you will captivate your audience. This happened, and then this happened, and he said, and she said, and this happened, and just, just tell the story. Uh, writer and broadcaster Ira Glass calls this the anecdote. An anecdote is a story in its purest form, and he likens it to a train on which you've invited others to join. And those riding along can feel like you're heading towards a destination. And then thirdly, and this is often forgotten, thirdly, reflect. Give the people you're telling the story to time to reflect. Many people seem to tell stories just to tell them, but when, when you start asking why people share and listen to stories, remember there's an objective, there's a destination, there's a reason. It may be to encourage or inspire or cause you to think differently, or it might just be humorous. <laughs> so, you know, you're going to give somebody a laugh. Laughter is the best medicine, according to the scripture, but there's still the purpose in the telling. So at the end of your story, take a moment to reflect with the audience on, on what you have shared. Where, where was God in all of this? What needed to happen to resolve the situation, and how did that happen? It's a good time to revisit your hook. In, in preaching, we call that renewing the image, the image that we painted at the first of a sermon, and we renew that when we get to the end. You know, revisit your hook. How did you answer the questions that the audience might have had at the beginning? In other words, you, you bring it home. Have you ever thought about Charles Dickens, the Christmas Carol of this? Marley was dead to begin with. He revisited the hook at the end when he said, and to Tiny Tim who did not die. <laughs> and so we had death at the beginning. We had life at, at the ending. The ending. There's purpose in this. Now, I know this has been a lot today, and every one of us is at a different point in telling our stories and learning how to do it. But here's the most important thing. Remember that the final chapter of God's story is still being written today, even though we know that it's going to turn out well in the end. But we get to be part of God's story through believing the story of Jesus. We are participating in the mission of God to proclaim the gospel throughout the world, to love others, to love, uh, love uh, God, and, and through the power of the Holy Spirit in his church to do what he has called us to do. You are part of God's story, and he has given your part for you to tell. And for so many people in our community and in our world, you are the only story of Christ 
that they will ever see or hear. They won't read it in a Bible. And if they read it, sometimes they don't get it. They're not going to watch it on a DVD or in the theater. Many of them will tune in to the latest Hallmark movie this season, or all 54 of them that they're going to show on the Hallmark you know, for Christmas this year. But they will see you. They will hear you. They will hear from you. We are God's story. And that's what they are going to see. And that's something that we can keep in mind this Christmas. And between now and Christmas, we're going to be looking at the backstory of a woman named Mary. The backstory of Mary. Shall we pray? Our Heavenly Father, we thank you that we, you have made us and brought us into your story, Lord. And Father, I thank you that we can encourage one another. We can build faith into the life of someone else, whether it's through the telling of stories to our children or in Sunday school class, whether it's studying the stories together in a Sunday school class, or whether it's getting the opportunity to share the backstory of our own conversion and faith in Jesus Christ or, or what he has done for us at a time when somebody's really suffering and hurting, Lord. And, and uh, you give us the opportunity, Lord, to, to show them how great you are, how good you are, how much you love them. And Father, this season... The story of Christmas is going to be told in a multitude of ways and in different ways. And so many people, even in all of that, are going to miss the story, Lord. Father, I pray that you use each one of us to tell the story, the old, old story of Jesus and his love. And we pray this in Jesus' name.